Welcome to the Vincentian Heritage Podcast, a selection of readings on Vincentian history, spirituality, and praxis to help sustain the members of the Vincentian family in our shared efforts to live out the mission, vision, and values of St. Vincent de Paul. This episode's reading is entitled Conversion and Discernment According to Vincent de Paul, published in 2015 in Vincentian Heritage Journal, Volume 32, Number 1. It is read by the author, Reverend Edward Udovic. For Vincent de Paul, the lifelong conversion required by a vocation to Christian discipleship begins with the prayerful discernment of God's will in one's day-to-day life, the free decision to accept that will in faith and love, and then, to the best of one's ability, living that faith in action and love, relying always on God's grace. Thus, conversion and discernment are two sides of the one coin of the vocation of discipleship. This article will examine the ways in which Vincent de Paul reflected with and for his followers on the spiritual foundations of their vocation to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, the evangelizer of the poor. In January 1617, after the completion of the Christmas season, Vincent de Paul traveled with Madame de Gondi and her retinue to visit the family's estates northwest of Paris in the province of Picardy. Their destination was the small village of Folville, with the Gondi Chateau, with its adjacent parish church and family funerary chapel were located. Françoise Marguerite de Silly had brought these ancestral lands to her marriage as part of her dowry when she married Philippe Emmanuel de Gondi in June 1604. Madame de Gondi was a noble woman of intelligence, determination, and piety. She and Vincent de Paul had witnessed the consequences of the spiritual abandonment suffered by the poor people of the countryside. The Gondi estates, after all, were spread across many provinces of the kingdom. Since the spiritual welfare of thousands of peasants was part of her family's responsibility before God, and since they were a leading Devo family, which took their religious responsibilities seriously, it seems in hindsight to have been inevitable that at some point these experiences and this faith would meet at some providential tipping point. This tipping point came famously through the incident sometime that January, of Monsieur Vincent hearing the deathbed confession of an elderly peasant in the nearby town of Gan. This man later told Madame de Gondi of the great peace that had descended upon his soul after having had the opportunity to make a general confession of his life to Monsieur Vincent. Madame de Gondi also had her own troubling experience of encountering a confessor so ignorant that he did not even know the Latin formula of absolution. She realized that even as a noblewoman, she could not be guaranteed access to the spiritual and sacramental ministrations of the church, upon which she believed her salvation depended. So, at this moment of insight, she turned to her trusted chaplain and spiritual director and asked what on the surface might have seemed an impulsive and even innocuous question. What must be done? This question was far from being impulsive, however, and it certainly was not innocuous. From the perspectives of both Madame de Gondi's and Monsieur Vincent's shared faith, asking this question at that precise moment was providential and was the result of a direct inspiration from God. Vincent noted, It's characteristic of God always to prompt us to do what is good. All the good we do is done by inspiration. No one is saved except by inspiration and the good use we make of it. This question would, as a matter of fact, become the question that Vincent would spend the rest of his life striving to answer, beginning with the first sermon, probably given within the context of a parish mission, 
that he preached at Madame de Gondi's request in the Church of Saint-Jacques in Fauville on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, Wednesday, 25 January, 1617. It would also in time become the question for Louise de Marillac. What must be done? Implicit in this question are the underlying questions asked and answered in the imperative as questions of faith and conscience. What must I do? What must you do? What must we do? Vincent de Paul had only one answer to the question of what must be done. His greatest desire was always that God's will must be done in us and in all that concerns us. Or, as he also said, let us pray that you and I may always have one and the same will and non-will with him and in him. Or even further, as he said, I am sure that you wish and do not wish what God wishes and does not wish, and that you are disposed to want and not want only what God seems to want and not want. Finally, Vincent imparted, you have acted according to the good pleasure of God and our own maxim in letting God's providence act without contributing anything to it but your own acquiescence. This salvific will was revealed as God promised in the person of the Savior, his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. God's sovereign will must be done in our lives according to the example of how Christ obediently fulfilled that same will in his life, actively and passively, by doing and not doing, and through his prayer of, your will be done, finally becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Vincent reminded his followers, you are God's and God is yours. Therefore, God has great plans for you, directed toward helping you to do what Christ did when he was on earth. For the more we are like our Lord, stripped of everything, the more we will share in his spirit. The more we seek, like him, the kingdom of God, his Father, and to establish it in ourselves and in others, the more will the necessities of life be given us. In addition, he said, rest assured that the maxims of Jesus Christ and the examples of his life, especially his hidden life, are not misleading. They produce their fruits in due time. Anything not in conformity with them is vain, and everything turns out badly for one who acts according to the contrary maxims. Such is my belief, and such is my experience. The Christ who captured the heart of Vincent de Paul, who sealed his conversion, and who guided all his discernment and actions, was the Christ revealed in Scripture as the evangelizer of the poor, the source and model of all charity. Therefore, for Vincent de Paul, God's will must be done in imitation of how Christ, the evangelizer of the poor, fulfilled it in word and deed, proclaiming the kingdom of God by announcing the good news of salvation to the poor with the intention of the pure glory of God. God continues the unfolding of the great hidden treasures of his salvific will in history through the agency of the Holy Spirit, working through the visible church as the body of Christ. This revelation takes place through the unfurling of a loving plan that embraces every person, foreseeing their options and choices moment by moment, decision by decision, for all ages until the end of time. At any given moment, this adorable and mysterious plan is revealed through the prophetic signs of the time and unfolds inexorably through the relationships, events, and communities of one's life and one's world. Vincent believed grace has its moments, and 
that the things of God come about by themselves and that wisdom consists in following providence step by step. So he was careful always to point out what Christians so often seem to forget. God's works are not governed according to our views and wishes. However, he also taught that God does offer each human being, and in particular each Christian, the unmerited, unconditional gift of the sufficient graces, special graces, and appropriate graces that he or she might need at any given moment to discern and follow his providential plan. In the final analysis, the grace of perseverance is the greatest grace of all. It crowns all others. Reflecting on this outpouring of God's assistance, Vincent noted, Since then, all these graces have been prepared for you, and our good God who grants them desires nothing so much as to lavish them on those who truly want to make use of them. What is there to prevent you from being filled with them, destroying by their power all that remains of the old man in you? Vincent's own answers to this question and his personal sanctity emerged gradually through prayerful discernment carried out through the prisms of his faith and his experience. In this case, the answers he discerned were monumental in scale and of lasting importance. For the sake of the evangelization and salvation of the poor, it was God's will that the Church of France must be reformed as envisioned by the Council of Trent, bishop by bishop, diocese by diocese, parish by parish, and priest by priest. Further, it was God's will that our brothers and sisters in Christ who are poor and suffering must everywhere and always be recognized as our lords and masters, loved and effectively served with the proverbial strength of our arms and the sweat of our brows. After all, as Vincent said, in the end, doing good isn't everything. It must be done well. These answers in turn beg the further question of discernment. What are the means that God is revealing as those destined to best fulfill and sustain these missions? Over time, Vincent de Paul's discernment of God's answers to these questions led directly to the foundation between 1617 and 1633 of the Confraternities of Charity, the Congregation of the Mission, the Ladies of Charity, and the Daughters of Charity. In the case of the discernment with respect to the foundation of the Daughters of Charity, Monsieur Vincent's was a shared one with Louise de Marillac, Mademoiselle Lagras. Successively, these answers led to more questions of what I would call foundational discernment. What are the virtues and rules that God is revealing as those best designed to guide the members of these groups to fulfill and sustain their missions over time? This further discernment led Vincent and Louise to a decades-long effort, culminating in the various rules that are their enduring spiritual legacy to their communities, the church, and the poor. Until the end of his life, when questioned about the origins of his great works, Vincent de Paul without fail gave full credit to Madame de Gondi for having first had the faith, inspiration, and courage to ask this question and the determination to find an answer for it. Almost four centuries later, the question, what must be done, remains the inescapable question which these same Vincentian communities and the wider international Vincentian family are still trying to answer with fidelity. If this question already has its definitive answer in our shared baptismal commitments as Christ's disciples to follow God's will in us and in all that concerns us, then we are also asked to consider what must I you 
and we do as members of the Ascension family to discern God's will being revealed through his providential plan. How, when, and where are we today called by justice and empowered by charity to serve our brothers and sisters who are poor? According to Vincent de Paul, we mustn't trust ourselves because we're constantly changing. That's why we need to reflect often on ourselves in order to make amends for the failings our corrupt nature causes us to commit. Just as a clock has to be wound every day to rectify any loss of time, we must always start over in practicing mortification of our passions because we always need to be working on ourselves from one moment to the next. Thus, the prerequisite of being able to discern God's will at any given moment in answer to the Vincentian question is the adoption of a state of self-emptying, holy indifference. We must give ourselves to God in all respects. The unreserved gift of yourself requires that we become ready for anything and completely detached from ourselves. It also means, as Vincent noted, praying with a spirit of resignation that God grant that we may receive whatever happens with one and the same heart. I mean, accepting the good and the bad indifferently. He will doubtless do so if we reduce our own desires and ways of action to nothing in his presence, allowing ourselves to be governed by his wisdom in the belief that whatever happens is best for us, even though it may be contrary to our feelings. Vincent also observed, We have only to commend our needs to his providence, be faithful to our obligations, and be convinced that sooner or later God will provide what he knows we need for his plan for us. What more do we have to do? According to Vincent, this disposition is an anticipated paradise beginning in this life. It can only be achieved with great perseverance because it requires that each person have knowledge of the anatomy of the human will and, in awe and humility, learn to mistrust themselves and thereby abandon human nature's own ways of acting. Each person must be truly convinced that we are capable only of spoiling everything and must choose to sacrifice the obstacles of our own cherished opinions, comfort, ideas, desires, preferences, ideologies, assumptions, prejudices, time frames, plans, and self-will. According to Vincent, the submission of our senses and our reason. Only a resigned soul, stripped of everything, can be on guard against a thousand outbursts of self-will, or of anticipating providence and be protected from the temptations and delusions that our self-sufficiency and rebellious pride inevitably create to try to frustrate the plans of divine providence. In Vincent's words, this would be a crime for the children of providence. Vincent acknowledged that the holy resolutions to be stripped of everything, as described above, would always be repugnant to human nature, since they lay out such a narrow and rough path. This experience does, after all, represent the challenge at the heart of religious conversion, that we carry our cross daily and be happy at the foot of the cross. He observed, we must act against what is painful and either break our heart or soften it to get it ready for anything. This conversion, the edifice of our perfection, is thus in its essence the movement from restricted, conditional, to unrestricted, unconditional readiness to do God's will. 
Just let him do his will in you and await it in all your exercises. All you need to do is to devote yourself entirely to God. Oh, how little it takes to be very holy, to do the will of God in all things, and to put our feet only in the place it has marked out for us. Or as Vincent also said, Indeed, the great secret of the spiritual life is to abandon all that we love to him by abandoning ourselves to all that he wishes with perfect confidence that everything will turn out for the best. That is why it has been said that all things will turn to good for those who serve God. Let us serve him then, but let us serve him as he wishes and let us allow him to act. Vincent went on to note, the mistrust of your own strength must be the basis for the trust you should have in God. The development of a sense of self-mistrust, the definition of humility, only succeeds in proportion to the degree to which a person instead places their exuberant trust and redoubles their confidence in God's unrivaled love for us. After all, we belong to him, who is all good and all wise. Vincent's advice was simple. Seek a total dependence on God and place all your trust in him. Entrust yourselves to God, call upon him, and rest assured that he will be your strength, your consolation, and one day the glory of your souls. Put your trust in him, I beg you, and your heart's desire will be fulfilled. Vincent also advised, consider our Lord close by you and within you, ready to put his hand to the work as soon as you call upon him for help, and you will see that all will go well. In the end, if you want to have peace of heart and a thousand blessings from God, do not listen any longer either to your own judgment or will. You have already made a sacrifice of them to God. Be very careful not to take back the use of them. Allow yourself to be guided and rest assured that God will be the one who guides you. But where? To the freedom of his children, to a superabundance of consolation, to great progress in virtue, and to your eternal happiness. Louise de Marriac described this state of holy indifference when she prayed, No desires, no resolutions. The grace of my God will accomplish whatever he pleases in me. Or as Jane Frances de Chantal also once wrote to Vincent de Paul, It seems to me that I am simply awaiting what God will be pleased to do with me. I have no desires nor plans. Nothing is keeping me from allowing God to act. I have neither opinion nor feeling with regard to the future. But at present, I am doing what I think it is necessary to do without thinking any further. For Vincent de Paul, the infallible signs of readiness for authentic discernment, this good disposition, are a sense of abiding cheerfulness, calmness, and peace of heart. So it remains for you except to be at peace. Vincent advised Louise de Marriac to try to live content among your reasons for discontent. That is your center and what he asks of you for the present and for the future forever. To achieve such calmness and harmony was to honor our Lord's peace of soul. He further remarked, Is it not enough for God that your heart is honoring the tranquility of our Lord's? Then it will be fit and ready to serve him. The kingdom of God is peace in the Holy Spirit. He will reign in you if your heart is at peace. So be at peace, mademoiselle. By contrast, Vincent understood the warning signs of an unsettled state that indicate one is not ready for or not engaged in authentic discernment. These are the very human experiences of ill-regulated passion. 
feeling hurried, stressed, over-eager, troubled, fearful, bitter, worried, upset, jealous, resentful, or anxious at the opportunities and challenges we face trying to answer the question, what must be done? He stated again to Louise, Yes, you will tell me, but it is on account of God that I am worried. It is no longer because of God that you are worried if you are troubled because of serving him. Or as he wrote to Brother Pierre Leclerc, I feel that your desire does not come from God because it is too vehement. Those given by God are gentle and peaceful. They in no way trouble the mind as yours does, causing you anxiety. From this place of self-forgetful patience, calmness, peace, and quiet, only one thing further remains, to seek enlightenment. It now remains for you to raise your heart to God and listen to what he will say to you on this matter. According to Vincent de Paul's way of thinking, rarely is any good done without difficulty. The inevitable struggles and constant difficulties experienced in reaching and maintaining a state of unrestricted readiness to discern and do God's will were to be attributed to the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. If Monsieur Vincent possessed a keen awareness of the presence and power of God, he had an equally keen awareness of the competing presence and power of the devil, our enemy and the father of discord. Vincent told the daughters of charity, Now a person who loves obedience and who breaks her own will shows that she has the spirit of our Lord. If you want to know whether a sister of charity has the spirit of the new Adam, see if she's really obedient, for that's a sure sign. But if she loves to do her own will in all her action, that's the sign of the spirit of the old Adam, or rather, the sign of the spirit of the devil. All we need is to be really convinced of this truth and will never do anything by this cursed, diabolical spirit, which is nothing other than self-will. He also went so far as to say there would be no demon, no hell, if there were no self-will. The devil, the prince of demons, according to Vincent, is a roaring lion who never sleeps, and is always prowling around seeking to devour us. He will not fail to attack you and your good resolution to belong entirely to God. Further, the evil spirit is clever and cunning, shrewd and subtle. Seducing us, he uses his ruses, snares, schemes, wiles, and tricks, at times even to transform himself into an angel of light, who can urge us to do good in order to lead us to something evil. In a marvelous turn of phrase, Vincent notes, that's what the devil does to tempt you. He proposes something as very good and useful. He adds some sauce to make it tasty. Vincent specifically warned his followers of the dangerous temptation to be overzealous and to seek ever greater perfection. He advised, be careful not to do too much. It is a ruse of the devil by which he deceives good people to induce them to do more than they are able so that they end up not being able to do anything. Succumbing to this temptation would thwart God's plans by drawing one's attention away from precisely the place that God is calling you to be at that moment. Perfection is not a goal unto itself for a Christian, but through life's journey, you can be sure that your vocation will bring about your sanctification and, in the end, your glorification. Vincent prayed for the intercession of the Holy Spirit so that he and his followers would brace themselves and be especially alert to the wiles of the evil one and to resist them. This state of alertness is essential since the devil won't fail to try to take you by surprise. 
in order that one is not taken by surprise by the inevitable temptations in one's life, Vincent is quite clear about what these temptations are, what they look and feel like, and where they originate. He warns, It's characteristic of the devil, the flesh, and the world to prompt us to what is evil. Temptation, I repeat, is an impulse that prompts us in various ways to what's evil. If the devil, the flesh, and the world constantly seek to tempt us, God in every instance counters these wicked phantoms, inspires us to turn a deaf ear, to guard against dealing with temptation, and the end to do what is right and good. According to Vincent, our reason for fearing and avoiding temptation is that the devil's plan is to incline us to sin and to ruin us. We have to endure them patiently because the plan of God is to have us benefit from them. God allows these temptations in order to make us more virtuous and more exact in the performance of our duties. If I give in to the temptation, I'm committing a sin. If I make good use of it, I'll gain a great deal of merit. When we make bad use of these temptations by sinning, great evils ensue. By contrast, there is great good to be drawn from them when they're used well, handled properly. Consequently, the very means by which the devil has tried to battle against you will help you to overcome him and draw closer to God. Vincent de Paul cited the example of St. Paul, who made use of his temptations to humble himself and to give glory to God for all he was doing by his grace. He also reminded his followers that Jesus Christ, the saint of saints, was tempted. He remarked, The Son of God wasn't exempt. How bold of the devil to approach the saint of saints! Is there any surprise, then, that he tempted human beings, since he attacked our Lord? But even in the midst of temptations, Christians have reason to rejoice because the tempter cannot harm us. He can tempt us, but he can never force us to do evil. We have free will to embrace what's good and avoid evil. In summary, Vincent says, If we listen to the temptations of the world and the flesh, which always suggest a thousand reasons to gratify ourselves— it's inevitable that we'll have the misfortune to follow our own judgment. If we mistrust our own strength and fear our three enemies, rejecting instead of listening to them, if instead of being proud, we humble ourselves, if instead of growing discouraged, we renew our resolutions and deal in the same manner with all other suggestions, then instead of being the victims of temptation, aided by the grace of God, will derive great good from them, and in a short time the soul will make great progress in virtue. God's grace will never fail you. On the contrary, it will abound in your soul in proportion to the adversities you encounter and your determination to overcome them with this same grace. God never allows us to be tempted beyond our strength. According to Vincent, this great sovereign remedy, therefore, is for Christians to train ourselves for combat until we feel we are in command of the situation and able to close our hearts and ears to temptation. Under these conditions, the devil will indeed have a hard time carrying out his plans. In contrast to the language of Vincent de Paul's 17th century theological reflections, contemporary theological reflection would put much less emphasis on attributing the difficulties in achieving Christian and Vincentian conversion and discernment to the influence and activities of the devil, demons, or wicked phantoms. Instead, 
We typically now use language and images that reflect our spiritual experiences of the challenges posed by the frailties, limitations, and fault lines we find inherent in our human nature. This would include our inclinations to find sin as expressions of self-will, selfishness, and self-centeredness as an ever-present and powerful temptation in our lives and in our world with consequences that we all know and can name well. In the end, whatever the theological language and constructs that we use, it is the insight into the difficulties and challenges that we face and the empowerment of faith and grace which are at the core of our present discussion about Vincentian conversion and discernment. According to Vincent de Paul, this lifelong spiritual journey of self-emptying, interior humiliation, to achieve and maintain a state of sufficient unrestricted readiness or perfect acquiescence to discern and to do God's will in the place and manner in which he wants you to serve him always requires our goodwill and honest efforts. After all, virtue is virtue only insofar as we make the effort to practice it. Vincent also imparted, however, that God wills only what is within your power and does not ask anything unreasonable of us. We should, therefore, be content to do simply whatever we can. As Vincent once told Rene Almora, do not take on anything beyond your strength, do not be anxious, do not take things too much to heart, go gently, and do not work too long or too hard. We will inevitably fall short of the full measure of unrestricted readiness because this cannot be done all at once, but only gradually, gently, and patiently by repeated acts. However, we will see that this is carried out with the help of God, who perfects and completes all our efforts as needed, bringing them to a providential conclusion step by step for a long time to come because there is a long way to go. Vincent testified, That is why God gives me new insights every day on the importance of acting this way and more devotion to do nothing except in this way. We learn from our faith and experience that God's plan always unfolds in the times, places, and manner he pleases. God's affairs are accomplished gradually and almost imperceptibly and with the results which God alone determines. As Vincent advised, be convinced that God asks of you only that you cast your nets into the sea and not that you catch the fish, because it is up to him to make them to go into the nets. Have no doubt that he will do so if you wait patiently for the day to come. Or, as he also said, let us offer ourselves to him to do and suffer all things for his glory and the building up of his church. He wants nothing more. If he desires results, they are his and not ours. Let us open wide our hearts and wills in his presence, not deciding to do this or that until God has spoken. In Vincent de Paul's view, our readiness to enter into authentic discernment will be exactly the same as the measure of our personal and communal conversion at that moment. Of the core virtues or values that Vincent identified as being essential for the disciples of Jesus, the one that he identified as being the most important was simplicity. Indeed, he called this virtue my gospel. For Vincent de Paul, the advice to examine matters in detail means to examine them as honestly and objectively, as far as is in our power, to determine one's relative state of restricted versus unrestricted readiness. 
Vincent proclaimed in this regard, I have a special devotion and consolation in saying things as they are. Our always imperfect conversion is never to be used as an excuse for putting off or delaying discernment. Since if we wait for perfect, unrestricted readiness, we will wait without end and without effect. As Vincent said, we must go forward without becoming discouraged because on God's road not to advance is to fall back since man never remains in the same condition. However, this must be done with great prudence. These precautions are aimed at honestly acknowledging and minimizing the influence of our self-will and pride with respect to the question at hand. As long as our actions are not sinful, God will accept our efforts, and they will in some way contribute to the fulfillment of his plan. As detailed earlier, this Vincentian question, what must be done, already has its definitive answer in our shared baptismal commitments as Christ's disciples to follow God's will in us and in all that concerns us. Through Vincent and Louise's discernment, this fundamental question received other firm and unchanging answers in the distinctive Christology, missiology, ecclesiology, soteriology, spirituality, virtues, and rules of the various Vincentian organizations and the Vincentian tradition itself. The results of these core discernments do not need to be repeated and serve as givens in our subsequent discernments as described below. It follows, then, that the question remaining to be answered through our ongoing conversion and discernment is immediate and of the moment. What must I, you, and we do as members of the Vincentian family to discern God's will as revealed through his providential plan? How? When and where are we today called by justice and empowered by charity to serve our brothers and sisters who are poor and advocate for the systemic and sustainable changes which will address the root causes of their poverties? As part of the discernment to answer this final question, there is a preparatory question that first needs to be asked and answered. Out of all the options— as influenced by political, economic, social, cultural, religious, scientific, and geographical factors, detailing what could be done in the present circumstances, which are the ones that providence seems to be revealing in a way that cannot be mistaken, and answers the how, when, and where posed by the Vincentian question of this moment in our lives. There is always some real urgency to answering this question of the moment correctly, since the stakes are constantly high for the poor who are to be served. However, Vincent noted that providence requires time for generating its works. Therefore, we should not be restless and not be in too great a hurry in answering. Rather, we should take all the time we need. Vincent reminded his followers often, let us not rush into things, and you have no need of hurrying. What does not get done at one time gets done at another. Vincent frequently quoted the proverb, let us make haste slowly. He further added, God's affairs do not usually deteriorate because we take more time to consider them and recommend them to him. On the contrary, everything only goes better. This purposeful slowdown of the discernment process is essential since it allows us to proceed calmly. While time spent in conversion and discernment is time well spent in Vincent's view, if these opportunities are wasted or put off too long, this lost time can never be recovered. A central maxim guiding Vincentian discernment is, the less we are involved in it, 
the better the will of God will be made known to us. This revelation is something we await rather than anticipate. We are never to act except in a passive way, and we are to do nothing except attentively listen for God to reveal his will. Since God speaks to us through the prisms of faith and experience, these should be the foci of our calm, prayerful, detached attention. This means that we should never presume to take too much initiative or make the first move either directly or indirectly to seek out or suggest answers to the questions for self-discernment. Further, we must be on our guard against pushing our own way into predetermined or stock answers based merely on our views and way of thinking. Vincent once wrote to a confrere, I fear you are in too great a hurry about everything. Now, this happens because you are incessantly occupied with ideas and ways of making progress and you rush to carry them out. And when you undertake something that does not succeed according to your liking, you talk of changing it at the first difficulties that present themselves. In the name of God, Monsieur, reflect on this and on what I have told you about it at other times, and do not let yourself get carried away by the impetuosity of your impulsive ideas. What usually deceives us is the appearance of good according to human reason, which never or rarely attains the divine. I have told you on previous occasions that the things of God come about by themselves and that wisdom consists in following providence step by step, and you can be sure of the truth of a maxim which seems paradoxical, namely, that he who is hasty falls back in the interests of God. This required passivity should not be confused with inactivity or entrapment in the seeming safety of the status quo. Rather, it is based on our steadfast desire and free choice to move forward for the sake of fulfilling our vocations by finding the times, places, and circumstances where we will correspond with God's plans as they are revealed. Vincent said, So then, let us be steadfast and always walk in the ways of God without coming to a standstill. As he pointed out, this indifference gives us the leisure to learn from experience and acknowledge the dispositions from on high. We should receive with respect all that God offers us and then examine matters in detail in order to do what is most expedient. This discernment, then, is a question of judging both the precise moment, after mature deliberation and serious consultation, when the opportunity seems ripe and the means are judged feasible, reasonable, and suitable. As we have seen, this requires that we take the time to examine matters thoroughly, being attentive down to the last details with respect to the essentials, but also as regards the circumstances. We do this by objectively considering the full range of pros and cons of all licit and possible means which suggest themselves in answer to the question, what could be done? What helps keep this process authentic is our willingness to take the necessary precautions by always consulting with wise and competent persons who are also persons of outstanding piety about the questions and options for action at hand. And then we should only move after much prayer and by common consent, having weighed and considered all things. Vincent points out, God blesses resolutions taken this way through consultation. Vincent's reasons for relying on much prayer and consultation in the process of discernment revealed his sense of personal honesty. 
That is how I act, and rarely do I do anything out of my own poor head. I have within myself that unfortunate quality of judging everything and everyone according to my own poor wits. But experience has made me see the happiness of acting otherwise and how God blesses this manner of acting. Interestingly, Vincent de Paul was not particularly troubled by mistakes or failures in discernment, as long as they did not result from sin. In an instance when this happened, he remarked, I admit once again that we moved too quickly. Oh, well, there is no use talking about it any longer. The mistake has been made. It will teach us another time to look more closely and to take more time with what we have to do. God, who knows how to draw good from evil, will see that all turns to his glory. One mistake should not be corrected by another. So you should continue. If the work that has begun does not succeed, it should not, however, depend on us, but on God to bring it to completion, since it is his providence that has committed us to it. While Vincent admits the possibility of discernment reaching a point of absolute clarity, in truth, what he trained his disciples to do was to come to reasonable clarity, achieved in the presence of God, after many prayers and the seeking of advice, and then to act boldly, without hesitation and without looking back. All that remains now is for you to make a firm resolution and put your hands seriously to the work as rough tools in the hands of a good workman. I also hope that you will take the resolution to correspond henceforth to God's plans for you and put them into effect without delay, always and everywhere. In light of the stark challenges to charity and justice, systemic change and sustainability that have characterized and will continue to characterize our 21st century, and in light of how these challenges are impacting poor people throughout the world, there is a new urgency for asking and answering the Vincentian question of what must be done. As we have seen, the efficacy of the Vincentian tradition's answer to this question today, as in the past, is deeply rooted in conversion and discernment as understood in the Catholic and Christian tradition. One of the present challenges for the members of the Vincentian tradition is to find ways for our tradition to serve as the highest common denominator for all people of goodwill and all faiths to ask and answer this question together. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Vincentian Heritage Podcast. If you have any questions, please send them to mission.depaul at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the other Vincentian family resources on our website, mission.depaul.edu.